So what we're going to do is in a moment, Donna is going to bring our announcements. Roger was not feeling well this morning, so Donna has also agreed to take on our prayer time. So if you have filled out a card, uh, you can find you, we can find those back to Jennifer and find our way through up this way, and then we'll continue where we left off there. All right, let's open together in prayer. Father, we thank you that we are not slaves any longer to sin. Those of us who have accepted you as a Christ follower, thank you that we don't have to do that. We do it, but we acknowledge with redemption our wrong. We agree with you. Lord, help us to live in righteousness in our daily choices, whether it's what we think, what we spend, how we act, what we say, our attitudes. Lord, we need your correction. We need your Holy Spirit to tune us in special ways. Lord, today as we walk through these pieces, let your word speak and not me. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see everybody today. First together today, it's Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. What I would like to do is take an off path just for today, to talk about what that looks like through the lens of the Chase commercial. You know what Chase's commercial is? What's their slogan? What's in your wallet? What's in your wallet? Find your wallet. Touch it. Ladies, touch your purse. Where's yours? Does this have meaning for righteousness? What's happening in here? Yes or no, guys? Absolutely. I don't know if yeah, how you spend it is all is, is what we're going to be talking about today. There are 38 parables that Jesus gave us each night. And it's estimated that 17 of them related to how we deal with our money. So in today's talk, we're going to be looking at seven things that the slave servant is doing with his money. What should he do and how should he do it to show his obedience? For years and years and years, Lou has uh, encouraged us that we are not owners, but what? Of God's money. Stewards. Stewards. And another word for steward is a manager. So we get the option of how we do it, but the management piece is what we're going to key in on today as a term of righteousness. The call to righteousness, doing the right things. And by the way, I hate that stage. And I'm upset for Luke. I like to be out here with you. Um, in my own classroom, I never sit down. I don't know if you, some teachers are behind the desk teachers. I'm not that guy. I usually get seven to 10,000 steps in my own room. So sometimes you may have to follow me a little bit like a tennis ball um, in, in that space. I, I like to walk around. Um, how many of you ever heard of Larry Burkett before? About half of you, Larry Burkett. How many of you heard of Dave Ramsey? All right. Dave Ramsey is not a pastor, but he took over where Larry Burkett left off. And when I was born, this is 1971, Larry Burkett, who started Crown Ministries in the 1970s, was at a Bible study where he was told that money didn't really have a lot of meaning to God's heart. And he went home and scratched his head and read the story over the week, and he said, no, I don't think so. 
And he spent the next one year and he worked through Genesis to Revelation, highlighting every single scripture that um, related to the use of money and how money is to be handled and what we are to think about money and how our attitudes are formed about money. Uh, this book, this one is an older one, this is uh, The Word on Finances. And there are 2,000 plus verses in God's Word about how we are to think and use money. So is money important to the heart of God? Yes. By the way, does he need that money? Yeah. No. He owns it all anyway. We were born with what? Nothing. Nothing. We will die with what? Nothing. Nothing. But what we do with what he puts in our hands here is important for eternity's sake. And we're going to look at that today. So the, the key verse that we'll, that we'll launch off of is Matthew 6, 21. And I did not do a PowerPoint. You guys have no clue what it's like to actually stand in this hole week after week after week. And I never, ever appreciate it from Lou until I have to do it. He'll call me on a Saturday and say, can you go and do this tomorrow? And I'll say, uh-uh, I don't have enough time. Uh-uh. Ask Bill Rice, let him do it. <laughs> no, let somebody else do it. He'll say, no, you can do it, you're done. And, uh, and of course I'll agree. But the preparation time that goes into what Lou does week after week, we should be grateful. He fills our plates every week. He opens his heart every single week. And it takes a massive amount of work to make that happen. Um, I talked to Dwayne Carson about 10 years ago on this topic, and he's or 12 years ago, maybe, and he said he spends anywhere from 20 to 30 hours to do a one-hour message. I didn't do that today, all right? But they do, and they do it faithfully week after week after week, in addition to their own jobs. So we are thankful for Lou and Cheryl and their ministry in this classroom. I'd like for you to uh, think with me on this particular topic of biblical economics. I'm not an economist. I'm a scientist. By heart, I'm a scientist. I'm a teacher, but I'm a scientist by heart. I'm, I don't think in economic terms, but I do enjoy looking at what that looks like. I'd like for you with your neighbor, that's an elbow partner for those of you who've been in classrooms lately, with your neighbor for about 30 seconds to talk about the top three things that cause you anxiety about our economy. That starts now. <laughs> you may need more than 30 seconds. <laughs> 30 seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Now share those things out loud by popcorn style. What are the things about our economy right here? We're going to isolate it, of course, to the United States because that's where we live. The fish doesn't know he's wet. He lives in the water. We don't know we're Americans. We live in the greatest country on the planet. But we're still under anxiety. What are the things that cause you anxiety? Second, the cost of fuel. Uh, I have a picture of where we buy gas at Sam's Club. It was a dollar and eighty-seven cents eighteen months ago. You know what it is today? Four dollars and twelve cents. Is that a cause for anxiety? Yes. Uh -huh. What else? Food costs. How many of you are the grocery shopper in your home? 
It's usually the ladies, Jennifer will not let me go to the grocery store with her because I'll spend six hours reading the boxes. I, I like doing that. She likes to get in and get out. I like to go and talk. To, by the way, there are strangers in grocery stores. You can meet the weirdest people in the world at grocery stores. And they're fun, all right, to hear their stories. Uh, I'll talk to the guys wearing, you know, they're carrying the carts in. We'll then comment together. I'm, I'm a people watcher. I don't see that well, but I, I like to watch people. So grocery prices, they're huge. I don't know if you've set a budget about your groceries. We were recently empty nesters. All right, and we had a grocery budget of $450. That was our grocery and our consumables expenses. Um, our kids left, and now we're spending more than the $450 every month with two less kids. How'd that happen? The prices have soared. If you haven't watched, if you haven't watched the news every single day, whether you're on a blog or whether you're on the mainstream news or on the radio, a little under 7% in the last 12 months of inflation. What else? I mean, you have 401k, 403b, retirement savings. Put your hand up. If you don't, you should, right? If you need one of those. Have you been watching how volatile the markets are? Is that a cause for anxiety? Yeah, I think so. Unemployment or underemployment. Maybe you have a neighbor or a friend where that's had a real concern. There have been several in this class that had that problem. How about tax burdens? Everybody likes taxes, right? Yeah. Absolutely, right? Uh, legislative redistribution of our wealth. Changing, giving to those who have not worked. Uh, that happens by the day, by the minute. Does that put, uh, put pressure on you and me? Yes. It does. Uh, government control. Have you seen that issue lately? Uh -huh. And we're just we're just now starting to, to, to experience that with the uh, with the reduction of masks. Whether you feel good about it or bad about it, I think we can all agree it's not about the science. It's about a control issue. I will say that you will do this because I am the great American. What? I'm the government. I'm Richmond, and I will say so. Those things are going to cause anxieties and pressures for you and for me, and they're going to happen in our wallets, all right? So then the question is, what is the biblical response that we should have for all of these anxieties or pressures? So because there's so much pressure with the gas prices and the food and the excessive taxation and the control and the list goes on, there are probably several things that were not mentioned out loud. We have to have our response as a Christ follower. What does that look like? How does it change us? Or does it change us is the real question. Uh, because there's less discretionary money, it's more important now than ever that we take this ownership versus managership a little more seriously. And it's because of the cause of Christ for kingdom's sake that this management question becomes essential. When you limit those choices, you become a slave. We want to be less of a slave to our own choices and more of a slave to the cause of Christ. So we have to evaluate our lifestyle decisions. What does our lifestyle look like? And how does that match up with God's economy? Listen to this piece out of 1 Timothy 6. And we're looking at 6 through 10. Again, I'm going to hope to let 
God's word speak and not what Kirk speak. But godliness, we have key word here, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We're going to hone in on that contentment word in a few minutes. For we bought, or we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those are our needs. And we probably added that shelter. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that purge people into ruin and destruction. Whether it's you or not, I'm not playing the Holy Spirit. Maybe you know a, a friend. How many know somebody who's gotten into financial destruction? Raise your hand. You know someone who's been. I, I know some people who have, and by the way, they're not in here. I know some people who have been in a part of this class with their choices have, have found themselves in financial destruction, really destructive issues. This is right out of God's word. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Is money evil? No. God hands us the power to make wealth. He gives us those abilities. He makes those paths straight for us. But the love of it is the idolatry part. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So then we ask, how many of us know someone? We're continuing, and we're skipping past a little part right now, 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. Command those who are rich, and that's you and me. We're, we're, we, we are rich in this room. That's all of us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Are we meant to enjoy the things that God puts in our hands? Yes. You are. And each of us is going to be tasked with a different station in life to be able to do that. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. That's after we pass away. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So if we are not content, then what are we? We're discontent. Put that D-I-S in as a, as a game changer. And we are constantly fed by a barrage of advertising that says, you don't have enough. You need more. We need it more. We need different. We need better. And we need it now. We, need, we want it tomorrow. Or actually, if you're buying on Amazon, I wanted it yesterday. Right? It's taken me a long time to get used to um, paying for it. How many of you have an Amazon membership? Three of us, right? You're paying too much for it anyway. They used to say it was a two-day ship, and now it's a five-day ship. So you have to learn to defray your gratification or delay your gratification a little farther. <laughs> All right. So we want more. We want better. We want different, and we want it now. And that is a sign of dissatisfaction or discontentment, and that's what God calls us to work against. So to give people everything that they want that they can't afford 
What is the answer to that question? How do we do that? Ever heard of debt? Ever heard of debt? That is where we're going to tackle for a moment. Now, my statistics are not going to come off of any place else. Uh, these, are, these are not stolen, but they're borrowed uh, from Ramsey Solutions. When I first started looking at this, I was thinking, oh, this is a young people problem. This is those 20s and 30s. This is those 30s and 40s. And since I crossed the 50 line, this is those 40s and hmm, those ones that are below me. Ain't so, guys. This is not limited to age. I was shocked at the number of people and the age groups and brackets that this affects from 18 to 90 on the amounts of debt that people are carrying in our country. These are not old statistics. These are 2021. It says that 80 Seven percent of us carry one credit card at least in our wallet. Eighty-seven percent from eighteen to eighty. How many of those carry a balance every month? Take a guess with me, real quick. One percent. One percent. Anybody else? Forty percent. Forty percent. Sixty-five percent. Anybody? Fifty-eight percent. 58% of us who carry a credit card in our wallet carry a balance every single month. And that is no restriction on age. The average interest rate, you know what it is? Across all credit cards right now? 17.8%. Last year, the credit card companies racked up 178 Billion dollars. That's B with a B, B, B. B, 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 banana B, billion. That's a big, I can't even envision a million. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we were in middle school, and we collected one million paper clips. Literally counted some, we, people were counting them out. It formed a dump truck so we could visualize what one million things looked like. One million doesn't even hold a candle to the B word. A thousand of those, and they collected $178 billion in interest payments alone from you and me. Well, not me, I put my book. $178 billion. How much debt does the average family of four carry minus a mortgage? What are your thoughts? Family of four. Now, if you have more, it's going to be a little more. If you have less, a little less. But this is by average, United States statistics, 2021, September of last year. I was shocked. School loans included. This is includes school loans. Everything except mortgage. This is cars, HELOCs, personal loans, revolving, credit, all of it. Anything except mortgages. Very close. $46,000 in average family of four carrying $46,000. That does not include mortgage. That's debt. Now, I'm going to define debt for you as taking out money that we can't afford for things that are going to lose value. Like if you go to Olive Garden and you charge a meal, there's no value in there. But if you, are, if you, know, if you purchase a mortgage, we usually hope that that asset does what? It grows. So we're not going to count that as a debt for this discussion. So age being out of the question, 
I was surprised, and I wish I had made a, a piece of this, that my group is actually carrying the biggest amount of it. 50 to 59 is carrying the most amount of debt right now. $185 billion for those in their 50s. Those of you who are in your 40s, you're not much better. $170 billion. Those of you who, oh, well, those are those little kids. Those of you who are in your 70s and 80s, $107 billion in consumer debt. Now, when we've taken on those debt loads, we can't live in freedom because our choices are so incredibly limited. Maybe you've had to lose some sleep going, how am I going to pay that minimum payment? Or is the car going to get repossessed? Or do we need to sell the house? Those kinds of things are going to cause anxiety that God never intended because debt is not part of his plan. Again, I'm not blaming the Holy Spirit. I'm learning these things over time, too. So this debt is unsustainable, and it's incompatible with freedom of choice and from God's economy, and it's going to turn us into a slave. So we're going to look at biblical economics real quick. Uh, we stand in a place where we need to rethink or reevaluate for kingdom's sake how we are righteous with our money. I want to take you to Deuteronomy 8, 17. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known before, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well for you. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gave you the ability to produce that wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to his ancestors as of today. So this little passage from the Old Testament, those of you who are reading through the, uh, the Bible in a chronology space, you might be in Deuteronomy right now. And this passage was designed to share with us that God's use for money was to take care of our needs. God's use for money was to share with others. And God's use for money was to prove his goodness. We can see that as clear as bell. So, um, how should we regard money? That was Deuteronomy. Those were the people of Israel. Um, we, we, we're not much different in our, in our take, and we, we need to be in a space where we're not in love with this money. So I want to take you to Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Maybe write that. Richest man on the planet. God said he's the richest man who ever, who ever would walk the planet. And then he said, this is meaningless. This is not money, but the, the love of it, the chasing after it. Hebrews 13, 5, we come into the New Testament. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, this is a big Awana verse, we teach this in Sparks, kindergarten, first and second grade. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He'll never leave his people without. Now, these are the needs. These are not our wants and our desires. So having money is not a bad thing. It is a provision of God for his purposes. But this discontentment, this more, this better, this now, this new, I've got, that's the piece that we want to look at. And that's what causes us to become indebted. It is a sign of bondage. 
So God has a plan for our use of our work. I want to think, uh, I, I, I think his name is Tibetius. I can't remember his exact name. He was the guy who built, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. He was the guy who built the Ark of the Covenant and the first temple. He, or the, the, the tabernacle square. It says very specifically that God gave him the skills. He was not a weaver. He was a goldsmith. He was a carpenter. He was a crafter. And he was a manager of people because he oversaw that entire operation. Um, anybody ever been to a metal fabrication shop before? And watch what goes on inside? They can take a brick of metal and turn it into something that you would purchase. Um, it is an amazing process. They had no machines then. Somebody had to craft those angels and maybe do it by hand. Those skills did not happen by accident. They were given by God. Now you say, well, that's angels and that's a, that's a, a, a gold craft, but that's not what I do. Well, we have the ability in our health to go and produce in other ways. We have the ability to have a job. Uh, sometimes I've been disgruntled. How many have been disgruntled with a job before? And put your hand up. Come on, you're with me. I'm there too. All right. I may wish you had another job. The grass is really greener on the other side, right? Um, but God gave us that ability, whatever that looks like. Um, let me take you down to his design. First design that God asks us for is for, for hard work. And I want to take you to Proverbs uh, 14, 23. And rather than asking for volunteers that didn't have a PowerPoint, I'll just read them for you. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So all hard work, God's asking us to work. We know it is our task. Take it down to Proverbs 28, 19, if you follow the notes down. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. So this was an aggregate, you know, an agrarian type society. Of course, they had to plant and they had to harvest and they had to store their food through winter. So hard work is not something we should look to ignore. The second thing is thoughtful planning. Proverbs 27, 23, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. He's telling us here, you need to know what's going on in your financial world. Those flocks and those herds meant income for the people of Israel. That was how they produced their wealth. I'll sell you this sheep, you'll be a me that goat, and we'll do it together. This is, this is transactional business. We had to know the conditions of our flocks. Was there a disease? Is there a better place to feed them? Where should they get water? Who's going to protect them at night? All of those are the details of the finance of this group of people. And we're asked to use thoughtful planning in that space. Proverbs 24, 3, by wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. And then the third thing for God's plan is giving. We might think, well, if I'm giving, then I'm putting, more, I'm putting money out. And then now what happens? I have less. Well, actually, do we have less? I want you to think with me real quick. And I came across this story that I haven't heard in a long time. I've read through it. I don't know how many times, but probably ignored it. 
like we do a lot of times. Sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to illumine Scripture on our behalf. The Second Kings 4 is where I'm at. I'm not going to take you to the story. I'm going to remind you of the story. There was a lady. She was a single parent. She had two children. She was about ready to die. You remember the story I'm talking about? She had something left in her kitchen. Do you remember what she had? She had some oil. How many, let's call it, let, how much oil did she have? Bible specific on it. She had enough for one meal. She realized in her despair that she was going to make that meal, and then what was her plan? To die. There was nothing left for her. She realized there was a connection between her wallet and her scripture, and she went to the local pastor. Do you remember who it was? Starts with an E. Uh huh. And Elijah gave her a faith uh, condition. He said, go into your house and close your door. Do this in secret. Don't tell everybody. But collect those pots and keep filling the pots. And what happened? Was there magic involved? No, it was the hand of God. And those pots continued to fill until the last pot that they had collected from their neighbors was full. What did she do with that oil? She sold it to make an income. And that was her provision from God. God can take the small and turn it into something that we have no idea about. Think about this in the New Testament context. What did God do with a couple of slices of fish and some rolls? How many did he feed? 5,000. Can God take a little and multiply in ways we cannot understand? He can. He asked us to give. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Will be poured into your lap, for <clears throat> with a measure you use, it will be measured to you. So really what God's saying is, if you're a cheapskate, so am I. But if you dump it all out, so will I. Test me and find out. Those are not my words. Those are, those are God's words. Test me and find out if I won't do it. Now, I'm not a prosperity gospel thinker at all, but I do believe in the promises that are laid out for me. Let me take you down to 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly, what will happen, guys? They will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So then what do we do? There's only three things that you can do with your money, and this is Dave Ramsey's famous for this. You can give it, you can save it, or you can spend it. He's asking us to balance this in Scripture here. So scoot down with me on your lesson page. We're going to look at seven things real quick that the Christian needs to be doing as a righteous servant, a slave to the cause of Christ. Number one, get out of debt. And what does it mean to get out of debt? That means you've got to live on a budget. A budget is a document that's going to tell every dollar. These are my, these are uh, Ramsey's words, not mine. Every dollar has an assignment. In other words, that's that careful planning. You know where it's going. How many of you are the saver in your household? Put your hand up. That's me. I'm the, how many of you are the spender? It's okay. You're the free, fancy free. I'm the saver. I'm the money nerd. I'm the the guy that can tell you how many Coca-Colas I bought in 1994. <laughs> I hate that, but it's true. <laughs> right? You think it's not, but it's real. We've been using, uh, you guys ever heard of Quicken before? 
I use Quicken. I've used it since they first produced it as a beta version in 1994, and I never looked back. And I bought every version since. And I can tell you every dime I have ever spent, or better yet, every dime I have ever wasted. All right. Uh, sometimes I want a report that says, since the beginning of 1994, how much have I spent eating out? I won't tell you because I'm embarrassed. <laughs> is my face red yet? It is. Uh, it should be. All right. Um, how much money have I spent on interest for this? Or how much money have I spent on furniture? I can tell you how much I've spent on bath towels. All right. Because I've got a category for that kind of silly stuff. Uh, Jennifer thinks it's silly, but she said, well, this is what we're going to do. He does it, so I'll, I'll grin. And, yeah. We, so we have our we have our monthly budget meeting, uh, which Ramsey encourages everybody to do. And he says, get in your war room at least once a month. And um, we do. And Jennifer just smiles and goes, mm -hmm. that looks good. Mm -hmm. That's good. I said, would you please change something? I, I begged her last month. Would you please change something? She said, there's nothing to change. You've done just a great job. Let's just do that. Okay, thanks a lot, man. All right. But get out of debt. And here's why. Because when you are in debt, you are in bondage. I'm not a Dave Ramsey apologist, but I do like a lot of things he shows. If you've watched him before, he has this big, huge chain that he brings on the stage and clunk, clunk, clunks around the stage. It is bondage. We're carrying it around. We're carrying that around like weight. How many of you ever had a weight loss plan? You've lost weight before. Let me see your hand. You gained quite back, right? right? I have a friend at work. Um, Michelle will know him. It's, it's Mel. And uh, Mel, at his high stage, was 385 pounds. And he's a very smart guy. He's probably one of the smartest guys that I know, other than Gary Isaacs. And Gary Isaacs used to sit right there. He's a very smart guy. He's a chemist. And he teaches middle school kids. I don't know why. I really don't. But he weighed 385 pounds. And then he told me uh, four years ago, he said, I'm going to lose weight and look better than you. I said, well... I need to lose about 50 pounds myself. And he said, well, then let's do it. And he did. He started eating those little tangerine oranges and, you know, drinking unsweet tea and whatnot. He did. He lost 118 pounds. Of course, now he's getting all back now. 118 pounds. And we, together, got some books that were 118 pounds to illustrate how much he had been carrying around daily. And it was a massive pile of books. And he says, well, all that stuff was destroying my back and my hips and my knees. All I'm thinking of is burden. Debt is exactly the same thing. It is a burden. Get out of debt. Proverbs 22, 7 is the verse that we will look at here. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the slave to the lender. we got to get rid of that lender. Build a plan. If you need a plan, I'm glad to talk to you about it. I, I'm going to recommend Financial Peace University. We did it in this church in 2017 last. I think there are still two groups doing it now. Psalms 27 or 37, 21. The wicked borrower, uh, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. We're going to key on that generously piece. 58% of Americans are going to carry that monthly balance. That. 12 to 25% interest. And if those choices are taken away, you cannot possibly be a part of righteously growing God's kingdom when you're limiting your own choices. So we can't continue to live in the gap between what we make and what we owe. That's debt. We need to live in the gap between what we make 
you know, what we spend. That's called saving, right? And that's what God asked us to do. Second thing, we got a number two. Give for kingdom's sake. This is probably the most hated scripture in all the Bible. Uh, Malachi 3, 8 through 10. He said, I don't know about hating scripture. There is. People hear this and they go, oh, goodness. I remember uh, Falwell Sr. doing this. And they go, oh, boy, it's March. It's time for us to start talking about tithing again. Malachi 6 is, uh, will a mere mortal rob God? Do we rob God? How did Malachi say we did it? Do you know? By not turning in our tithes. Now, the Hebrews were required to turn it in as a temple tax. Uh, two times, two uh, tenths is 20%. And every third year, they were doing another 10%. So you split that out. Right now, they're 23 and a third percent for just taxes alone to run the government. So then what was the portion for an offering? That was when the people were compelled by God to bring more above and beyond the tithe. So they gave this huge piece, but we're talking about free will offerings. Exodus, 20, or Exodus 35, 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. This is the scarlet yarn, the purple fibers, the bronze, the acacia wood, the gold, the silver, all the things that they had hiding in their backpack and they brought them willingly to the Lord to watch what the Lord would do. 1 Corinthians 9.11 If we've sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So is it okay to have the person who is delivering the gospel be paid? Absolutely. That's you and me. 1 Corinthians 9, 14, skipping down a little farther. In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. So there is a huge space in the message for us to keep these lights on, to keep those mics working. To keep these walls painted, these floors clean, and to keep our people who run this place prepared in order to do that. It is not a freebie. It is something that is very commanded in our uh, scriptural context. Six, Galatians 6.6. 6, Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. That frees them up to be able to do that. So essentially, what I'm saying here is if you're eating at somebody's table, we need to pay the bill for them. Do you have a ministry that you give to on a regular basis? It's all God's. 10% is the starting point, but it's all God's. A radio station, a nonprofit, a place that is carrying out the physical hands and feet of the gospel on the spot. I'm thinking of Parkview. I'm thinking of the little ministry at the plaza where there's a clothing space and a teaching space for people who are indigent, people who cannot afford those things. A giving plan is a huge space in God's economy. Number three, collect an emergency fund. We're down at the uh, number three on the bottom of your page. Genesis 41, 47. We're not going to read the entire story of Joseph. You know his story and you know the hardships that he had on top of him. What did he do with the wheat? That the, the, the Pharaoh asked him to collect. He planned ahead and why be store it, guys? Famine was coming. Did anybody else know about it? No, he was a planner. 
right? So year two, year three, year four, year five, people were coming to him. Please give us food to eat. There's nothing else on the ground. All right, well, give me your animals. All right, we'll give you your property. All right, we'll give you your sons and daughters. He was a planner, and that happened because he knew about the, the idea of building an emergency fund. Proverbs 22, 3, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep on going and they're going to pay the penalty for it. I have no idea. I'm not an economic forecaster of what's coming next. I don't know. But you at the very, at the very beginning with an elbow partner sat down together and said, well, these are the things that I'm anxious about. Do you think it's going to get better or worse? I think you're probably right. So then the need for planning becomes even stronger. The need to do that. Um, I'll keep coming back to Ramsey. He says we'll start with $1,000. $1,000 doesn't seem like very much. Um, but their research as of December of last year says that 70% of us could not handle a $400 emergency right now. I don't know what $400 would even buy. What could 400 bucks buy? It couldn't buy a refrigerator. It couldn't buy a washing machine. It couldn't fix a transmission. $400, you can't even put tires on a car for 400 bucks. You might be able to get the brakes done on one axle of your car. That's left and right. Maybe, unless you do it yourself. But 70% could not afford a $400 emergency and would have to put that on credit. So he says, prepare for the rainy day. If you've watched him before, he has an umbrella and he pops up. It's not if it's going to rain, but when. So the urgency is right there on top of us. Uh, develop a giving plan for those in need. This is beyond the church. Proverbs 19, 17 says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. and He will reward them for what they have done. Proverbs 21, 13 says, Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. God's saying, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to listen if you're not following my instructions as a righteous slave. And then finally, Proverbs 22, 9. He who is, has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. I like that generous eye. What's God telling us there? He's saying to look out for opportunities. I always love, uh, and, and this is something that Lou has done with me as a person, as a believer, as a friend, as, as a mentor. Um, you, don't put, you don't pull out your wallet to everybody who asks. You wait for who to prompt your spirit to do that. Holy Spirit. Feel no guilt when the offering plate goes around. Feel none. But when the Holy Spirit prompts you and says, hey, there's an extra 20 bucks in there, get it done. Or, hey, you don't need to eat at Red Lobster this afternoon. I'd like that for this ministry. All right? We probably, we, we used to pass the offering plates in this room mm, twice a month for special causes. We don't need more because everybody's scared to touch an offering plate, I guess. Um, <laughs> should you give to every one of those? Mm-mm. But maybe there are those that have a special place for you in your heart that God has prompted you. I know for us, uh, when Johnny hops up here and, and talks about the, the spaces of what Scripture does around the planet, not just in the United States, that's a place for me. 
God says, open your wallet, get it done. And you did it last week or two weeks ago. Jennifer, do you remember the amount? I, I've forgotten it. I think it was uh, somebody else came in. About sixteen hundred. A lot of a lot of money came in after the fact uh, to to us and to Lou. Uh, it's about sixteen or eighteen hundred dollars, and one hundred percent of that goes to buy dead tree Bibles to put in people's hands who need to hear. How will they know unless they hear? And what's that? Oh yeah, sorry about that. Dead tree version. That's paper. That's trees. All right. All right. I, in my classroom, I call that dead tree or digital. This is the digital. The dead tree is when I go to the copy machine. All right. So the, yes, the, the, the Gideons purchased the dead tree versions. <laughs> All right. Number five, invest for the future. Christians ought to be doing this. Proverbs 21, 20 says the wise store up choice foods and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. The oil and the choice foods, those were the economy of the day. If you had vats of oil, you were a rich person. What could you do with the oil? You could eat it. You could burn it. You could sell it. You could heal with it. Uh, you could moisten your skin if you wanted to and sell it. Uh, who knows what you could do. There's all kinds of things you could do with oil, but oil represented wealth. Obviously, metals did too, but those are quick, liquid. Yeah, you can make soap out of it. That's right. Uh, Proverbs 21.5 says the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. A clear sign that we need to be investing for our futures. Now, it's idolatry if we invest and are constantly the anxiety piece. All we can do is start the process. We have to lean on and trust the Lord for that provision, for what happens to it beyond that. Proverbs 6, uh, 6, 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, and no ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. So even those are crying out in investment. Proverbs 31, 16 says, She, this is talking about the... Um, the wise woman, remind me. Proverbs 31 woman. It's right in front of me. Why did I say Proverbs 31 woman says, She considers the field and buys it, and out of her earnings she plants a vineyard. So she is doing due diligence with her money. She considers it. Mm, I don't know if that field is going to be a good investment or not. Will this one be a better one? Is that one cheaper? Who's living on this field? Can I? All those things were her due diligence. She bought it, and with it, what'd she do with her earnings? She planted a, a vineyard for which she could then reharvest the grapes. So it's an investment, yielding money for another investment. This is, um, this is very suggestive that investing should be careful and done with due diligence and careful planning. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11 even describes to us about how investments all look. If you want, you can, I'm not going to spend the whole time reading this piece because we're almost done. But it tells us about diversification. Those of you who are good with money, financial planning, says don't put all your eggs in the same, in the same basket. And so does Ecclesiastes 11. It says to divide up your investments among the many places because so, you do not know what risks might lie ahead. And then of course, 
we know that investment was one of the parables where there was the parable of the talents, where one got one, one got five, one got ten. And we were to use that uh, earthly story, that common story, to describe how investment ought to look. Number six, build an inheritance. Proverbs 13, 22, it says, A good person leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. And then as we're closing, uh, this is not controversial. This is out of scripture. This is not me. Number seven says, enjoy your money. Ecclesiastes 5.18 says, this is what I have observed to be good. That it is appropriate for a person to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. So we're supposed to, number one, accept it, but number two, also enjoy it. And the piece I want to encourage you to hear in this last part is that it's about balance. Any one of those areas unbalanced, I think, would be ungodly. But all of them as a package, considered together in balance, I believe the servant is God honoring in these seven pieces. Let's pray together. Father, you wasted no time in Scripture talking to us about how to use the resources that you have blessed us with. Gifts of health, gifts of skills, or there are people amongst us here who can nail boards together in ways I'll never do. There are people here who can, uh, who can program computer, uh, computers in ways I never will. Or there are people here who can sew a straight line there are people here who can comfort others. There are people here who can change a tire. Or all the skills and the experiences and the opportunities that you place in front of us, help us to use them for your glory and for your good and not our own. Thank you that we can invest. Thank you that we can give. Thank you that we can enjoy. Thank you that we can plan. Help us to do it with kingdom sake in mind. In Jesus' name.